Welcome to the Campus Energy and Sustainability Podcast. In each episode, we will talk with leading campus professionals, thought leaders, engineers, and innovators addressing the unique challenges and opportunities facing higher ed and corporate campuses. Our discussions will range from energy conservation and efficiency to planning and finance, from building science to social science, from energy systems to food systems. We hope you are ready to learn, share, and ultimately accelerate your institution toward solutions. I'm your host, Dave Carlscott. I'm a principal at Fovia, an energy, carbon, and business planning firm. Today's guest is Dr. Krista Heiser. Krista is the Interim Sustainability Curriculum Coordinator for the 10 campuses of the University of Hawaii system. In this role, her work is to benchmark existing sustainability-focused courses and to facilitate interdisciplinary dialogue and professional development opportunities for faculty as they update and transform their courses. She is a thought leader in helping to rethink how we teach sustainability in our higher ed institutions. She is also a professor of composition and rhetoric at Kapi Alani Community College, which is part of the University of Hawaii system. I recorded a fascinating conversation with Krista that weaved through a myriad of topic areas. I have to admit, we got a bit carried away and far exceeded my own arbitrary time limit for a respectable podcast episode. I decided that rather than edit out entire sections of our discussion, I've split this episode into a two-part series. Part one mainly focuses on Krista's work to create the S designation, or sustainability designation, for college courses in the University of Hawaii system. It also explores, more generally, how to effectively teach students, faculty, and professionals about sustainability. Part two dives a bit deeper, taking on the role of language, how we can teach sustainable concepts without using green rhetoric, and we even get to learn a new word recently created in the Hawaiian language. I hope you enjoy this two-part series with Dr. Krista Heiser. Krista, welcome to the Campus Energy and Sustainability Podcast. Thank you, aloha, so happy to be with you. So Krista, if I have this right, you are first a teacher as a professor of composition and rhetoric, but somewhere along the way, you decided teaching wasn't quite enough of a challenge for you, because now you're teaching the teachers how to teach. (laughs) Perhaps you can start us off with a little background on how you ended up in that position. So I've taught English composition and rhetoric since about 2000. And my entry into sustainability was two things happened to me around 2000, 2001. One was a book by Derek Owens called Composition and Sustainability. And what that book did was look at the fact that every student in the United States takes a course uh, like English 100. And therefore, it's an intersection point where students can look at some of the environmental issues that they might not otherwise cross paths with in their general education curriculum. So I was reading that book and thinking about that in my teaching. And then I had this moment. I was just jogging in my neighborhood and I crossed over a little stream. There was something about the wind and the trees and the stream running underneath me, and I just had this moment, this this whoa moment um, where I kind of understood the complexity and immensity of some of these environmental issues and that, you know, it was a real thing that I was going to deal with, my kids were going to deal with, and that we needed to be teaching with. And this moment is called an epical transformative moment. 
in the literature on transformative learning, Jack Mesero. And, you know, people can change just like that. You just have this like aha moment. You, you realize something, you see something clearly, and it changes your direction. And so this moment, this epical moment of transformation changed my direction in my work and in my teaching. And I literally went home and started writing different lesson plans and started doing different research and, um, you know, directing my work in a different way. What's interesting about this is that when you talk to business leaders, uh, higher education leaders, teachers, you talk to people about sustainability and environmental awareness, and they will describe that moment. It's some describe like an awakening. Some people have a, an illness or something that changes their mindset. And it is, it's something that happens to people. So it happened to me and probably to you. That's probably how you got um, into the work you're doing as well. And that's the moment ever since, that's the moment that I've been wanting to create for students. Because if they can have that type of aha moment in their learning, then it will change their direction. Krista, thanks for that introduction. And I think you're right. I think most of us have a moment like that in our own career. But it sounds like you've moved beyond just teaching sustainability to your own students and have now gone on to integrate these concepts into other courses in your institution. Tell us more about this S designation or sustainability designation. Yeah, well, let me tell you where the S designation project came from. So in my own class, I was teaching a developmental composition at the time, a course called English 22. And the first thing I did was um, make my students start a campus recycling program. So they had to form a little company and uh, we made bins uh, that were recycled big barrels that had bleach in them. And we painted them. We wrote aloha and flowers and started a campus recycling program. So one, let's just recall that in 2001, we did not have a campus recycling program. And now look at what's going on on, you know, all the campuses that you visit. So 2001, there was no recycling program. So my students put these bins out. And then they had to get the recyclables to a big dumpster, a special dumpster that the city and county would then come and pick up. And this was the beginning of Hawaii's statewide uh, recycling program. So um, my students, they didn't like doing this. They did not like collecting recyclables, hauling them across campus. It was dirty. It was sweaty. It was irritating, and um, they, they really did not want to be doing uh, this type of work. But what was interesting about it is that it put them in direct, it, direct contact with um, behavior and behavior change, you know, with their own behavior, and then watching someone, uh, you know, throw their lunch into the recycling container or throw their soda bottle into the garbage can, you know, just watching that. It, it really brought up a lot of interesting critical thinking issues and, um, you know, wicked problems. And that's what really got me into it because we want to teach critical thinking. 
And if you spend any time thinking about recycling, you're going to run into a wicked problem and you're going to start engaging in critical thinking. So then I took students to the landfill. We have a waste to waste to energy facility. And, you know, recycling is probably a, a whole another podcast topic that we could do. Um, but it started to just unpack this huge issue of, of waste and materials and consumption and um, the wicked problems. And so I really got into it that way, started really engaging with those issues, started taking other classes to the landfill and the H-Power facility, and um, then started talking with other teachers about the waste issue, about some of our food security issues in Hawaii, and started saying, well, you know, are you teaching this? How does this... um, what does this look like in your discipline? So it started out as these informal conversations. And then in 2008, we had the first sort of system-wide meeting. So there were, you know, a few writing teachers like me, some computer uh, teachers, um, some scientists, natural resource people, of course. And, you know, we were just started talking. What is sustainability? How does it change the way we teach? And what do we have in common in terms of how we're trying to teach this? And how can students find these sections? So that's really what the S designation project then is about, is like, okay, teachers are teaching this, but um, if a student has an interest in sustainability, how can they find these classes in the curriculum, right? Because the university is organized in this like 19th century disciplinary structure, geography, biology, botany, you know, humanities, and sustainability is is embedded everywhere in the curriculum. And then students show up and say they they say, oh, I'm interested in sustainability. And and they don't know where to find it because they're coming from a different framework than then the, the academy is, is organized. So um, then the next thing that happened was the Association for the Advancement of Sustainability in Higher Education, it's a group called AISHI, uh, was formed uh, around that time, and they came out with a rating system called STARS. And I thought for sure University of Hawaii system would want to do the STARS rating system. And a lot of STARS, I'm sure you have interacted with STARS in your work, a lot of STARS um, work is about, you know, operation side of things, how energy efficient are your buildings, water use, that kind of thing. And then this little piece of it is about curriculum. How are you teaching sustainability, climate change? Um, How do these issues come into your classroom, not just in what you're teaching, but in how you're teaching them? And how do we even know um, really what's happening in the classroom? So I thought we would become a STARS school. And so I started studying the STARS criteria. I kind of combined those with our conversation. And we said, you know, this is what a sustainability course looks like. And that was the origin of the project. Yeah, fascinating. You kind of took it from a... uh... I need an opportunity to have my students have critical thinking, so I might as well throw them into sustainability because it's really hard rather than mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, uh, although I, I guess it did, 
have a genesis in your own passion. That's interesting. Selfishly, I want to ask, you know, I'm sure there are people that are interested in how you got the S designation into your curriculum and the mechanics of that. But since I am on, most of the work I do is on the operational side of the house for universities, I guess I'm a little more interested in thinking about how do you go about teaching these concepts? Because I think that's something I might be able to glean some tricks from. In my work, I end up in a position of educating people on the operational side of the business. I run into roadblocks all the time. Like, how do you talk about this? How do you bring up these topics without people's eyes glazing over or you know, just hitting barriers left and right? Because it is hard. Right. Well, one of the first things I did was um, talk with students. I did a dissertation study called Students as Stakeholders in the Curriculum. And I did focus groups with students. And I asked them, you know, it's funny how you said that, because I, if I asked students, oh, are you interested in sustainability? Sometimes they would be like, what? What are you talking about? Um, but if I come, if you come around sort of through a different direction and start asking them about um, climate change and invasive species and biodiversity and some of these other other issues, then they are very become very engaged in those things. So I was asking them, um, are your teachers teaching this and how are they teaching it? And at first they would say, you know, oh, no, it's not, we don't learn that in class. But then they would say, oh, except for, you know, when the teacher starts talking about uh, water bottles and water rights and Dasani, you know, trying to buy water rights and, and sell water and things like that. And it turns out that faculty who are engaged will, you know, they'll teach their values. They'll teach um, these issues because they're thinking about them and they're really smart people. So the, the sustainability curriculum would be coming in as a sidebar. And literally that was the same in textbooks, right? Textbooks would have around that time, um, you know, a chapter on sustainability or a sidebar about you know, plastic and the environment, something like that. And what this S designation does is take sustainability out of the sidebar and really transform the curriculum. So um, having that conversation with students was really important. And then continuing that conversation with faculty. So faculty would talk about what's called cognitive dissonance. This is where uh, operations comes in for you. It was really important to continue talking to faculty um, about teaching sustainability because what they would say is things like if they're in the classroom and they teach about the importance of, you know, local food and keeping keeping the local economy, things like that. And then if the students go across the Great Lawn to the cafeteria and they find bananas from Mexico in the cafeteria, or they look at why the healthy food is so much more expensive than, you know, the less healthy food, issues like that. Um, the teachers were telling me that that frustrated them and that the students, you know, would get one thing in the classroom and then one thing in the cafeteria, just as an example. And I found that very interesting. That's actually um, a, a, a psychological phenomenon called cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance is when um, a person holds 
two contradictory ideas at one time, and it's very uncomfortable. We do it all the time. But this application of the concept is a little different because we're looking at a campus ecosystem, and the classroom is one part of the ecosystem, and the facilities are another part of it, and they have to resonate with each other. Yeah. So if the students are learning one thing in the classroom and they don't see it when they step out into a different part of their college experience, then it creates this cognitive dissonance and is uncomfortable and it almost negates what they just learned. Oh, that's interesting. I have run into a lot of frustration in my own work because I will, will interact with uh, sustainability departments a lot of times. And part of their role is to help the operational side of the house you know, become, you know, quote unquote, greener. But a lot of their work has to do more with engaging students. And the way that you see that play out again and again and again is, uh, at least, you know, sort of in the in the shallow sense is, you know, what do I do about water bottles on campus or what do I do about, you know, we should have a, a garden on, on our campus. Uh, not really realizing that the scale of that compared to what the cafeteria is serving is is dwarfed. And for me, I guess I run into a lot of cognitive dissonance when I when I hear things like that because I just it frustrates me because I don't I guess I kind of feel it doesn't really matter when the campus energy system is so much larger or so much of a bigger problem. Right, right. It might be interesting if we talked instead of about cognitive dissonance. What if we looked at the the potential for cognitive resonance? I may have just invented that term, cognitive. <laughs> I like it. Right? When, you heard it here first. <laughs> well, yeah. This is that whole, what we talk about in sustainability, the living learning lab concept of college campuses and the way they are, um, you know, like can be like a small town or, or an ecosystem. If a student learns it, in a classroom, experiences it on campus, uh, sees, sees it in action in their community. A lot of uh, students' sustainability values come, of course, from their home and from their community, from what they see at the grocery store and so forth. So they're all interconnected. We need to think about all the places that a student interacts um, the classroom, the campus, and their community are all really important sites, um, which is why it's important for faculty to also be engaged in the community uh, through programs like service learning or just through their own, you know, engaged citizenship. I want to come back to something you mentioned earlier because you said something about teachers bringing it up in class. I remember having experiences like that in my own college. I had an English teacher that would rant and rave. I think it was about traffic patterns or something like that. And I used to get so frustrated because it had nothing to do with the English course I was taking at the time. Mm -hmm. um, but I remember she was very passionate and she took a good chunk of our class time to talk about whatever <laughs> that was. Uh, tell me more about that because it seems like you've run into that situation as well. Uh, well, teachers are people and um, they, they will teach their values. They Whatever it is that they're passionate about, if they're a vegetarian or a, a bike activist, a lot of the sustainability activism has been faculty driven and those faculty will, it will bubble out of them um, in the way that they're teaching. On the topic of the campus as a living learning lab, 
right? So the faculty will say that um, whatever's being taught in the classroom needs to be, the stu- if the students can experience it then on campus, then they get that cognitive resonance. And that was maybe driving a lot of the work in campus operations. What the research on um, sustainability in higher education, some of the studies are saying is that the effort and energy on the operations side is actually beginning to exceed or surpass the change and transformation in the classroom. Some of the classroom stuff is maybe it's just less visible and that's what we are hope, trying to do with this sustainability designation is, again, make those classes more visible to students and more visible to other faculty so that um, opportunities for interdisciplinary dialogue are created. What's interesting is that there is so much energy on the facilities and operations side um, with like energy goals and things like that. So you could actually have like kind of the reverse impact if students are seeing water conservation practices or energy, renewable energy, and they're not hearing about that in their classroom, um, then that's also a lost opportunity. Oh, that's interesting. So you're basically saying that while you might think that what's being taught in the ivory tower, which is usually way out in front or kind of the idealistic approach to things you would think that they're teaching sustainability concepts at a at that like way out ahead of the facilities. But what you're saying is the facilities, since they are in a lot of higher education institutions, are pushing efforts like that. Yep. They may be driving the education, not the other way around. It, I have seen some studies to that effect, yes. Interesting. It's It's a very interesting time. This process can be very uncomfortable for faculty who you know have to look at what they're teaching and and what it means to students and how they fit in with this whole s designation Um, sometimes it can be a bit uncomfortable for faculty it can be uncomfortable also for facilities managers and administrators sometimes it feels like there's different goals sometimes competing goals Um, what is the direction we're going in And I think the reason it feels uncomfortable is because it's change, and change is difficult. What we're experiencing with sustainability in general is really a paradigm shift. And this is a term that, you know, we we kind of use a lot, paradigm shift. But what a paradigm shift really is, is a change in the, the fundamental knowledge, fundamental shared common knowledge, like going from thinking the earth is um, flat to understanding that the earth is round. That is a paradigm shift. It's a change in scientific principle. And this is what's happening right now is a shift in, um, you know, the, the nature of life and our interaction with natural resources. Um, the understanding that those resources are finite is a change in how we think. I looked up paradigm shift on Wikipedia and I thought it was really interesting that somebody had added in there a um, one of those visual games, an uh, optical illusion, and it was a picture of a, a rabbit or a duck, depending on how you see it. You know, you kind of look at it one way and it looks like a rabbit, another way it looks like a duck. And this picture was representing what a paradigm shift feels like. And 
that um, that rabbit duck image is is something I think about now. It, when we look at campus sustainability, we look at it one way and it looks like a rabbit, and then all of a sudden you see it again and it looks like a duck. And that change can happen. It's 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 very very uncomfortable. It's like no 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 yes. And then the change can just happen like all of a sudden very quickly. And that's kind of where we're at right now in the University of Hawaii system. I've been, you know, engaged in these conversations for 10 years and they felt hard, they felt sticky, they're challenging. People would put energy in and then they'd get burnt out, a lot of false starts. And all of a sudden, it's, it's the, the energy is different. And, you know, it's we're starting to understand it. We had an experience like that with one of our clients, a large research institution in the Midwest, when we'd been working with them over the course of a couple of years, looking at different scenarios and how they could get off, off coal. And at the time, it seemed pretty aspirational for them to actually pull it off. But it was interesting to see at a certain point as the ideas percolated through the organization and became kind of the ideas of the president and other key staff. It felt like overnight that they were able to make a transformational change. I think what was most striking to me was how wrong most of those early forecasts had been. I mean, everybody was predicting it would take them a really long time. And the only person that was even close to predicting how rapidly it would happen was a sustainability director. And even she underestimated where they eventually ended up. And so right. that was, it was a lot of fun to see that. But right. I, I guess coming back to the term you used a second ago, you said the word cognitive dissonance. You've said that a few times. And I, I guess I'd like to dig into that a little bit more. I know mm -hmm. in a lot of the work we do, we will see people with goals like a carbon neutrality goal of a certain year or something like that. But but along with that, they'll have these other goals that are things like we're going to build more science buildings or we're going to you know add more students or you know we're going to you know build 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 and grow 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 but we're going to do it in a green way and you know a lot of things the term i always say to people is you can't grow your way to neutrality um but <laughs> maybe you can i mean how how should i think about that in this context i mean that's what do we do about cognitive dissonance yes right it's um like one part of the organization thinking one way like the sustainability department or however it's organized thinking one way and then another part of campus thinking another way. It's interesting when campuses make these really big aspirational goals, like we have a state goal to be for UH to be net zero by 2035. It's very aspirational for a leader to say that. And then, you know, the people whose job it is to make those changes, they're placed in that cognitive dissonance. Suddenly it's like, but, but how do we do that? Where does, where do you even start? You know, and you begin with um, baseline measures and we presented um, last week to the board of regents and we have an energy manager and his slide showed the, the chart, the line from where the campus was right now in terms of renewable energy and how it was going to get to 100% net zero by 2035. And the, the, the line from 1.44% <laughs> renewable <laughs> 
100% was um, you have to start somewhere. Uh, but then you also have to trust that the change can be not just stepwise, but jumpwise. You know, it's like baby step, baby step, baby step, leap. And we have to trust that those leaps are going to happen if we keep going on baby steps. Yeah, they, we hear that term incrementalism, which, mm-hmm. again, you can't really do baby steps all the way there. There has to be a giant no. leap somewhere in the way. And right. Yeah, I right. see that a lot. And it is it usually is helpful when they have a goal like that, because at least it gets people thinking and talking. And I suppose the cognitive dissonance is part of the learning process, I suppose. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's uh, or or is it, you know, or is it just something we need to recognize? Cognitive dissonance is definitely something to recognize. It's something that happens to us all the time. And that discomfort causes us to, you know, examine our, our thought, our thinking and our actions in a new way. When it becomes a bad thing is when there's um, a, a conflict between um the thinking and the the demonstrated environment. You know, it's very difficult staying connected with sustainability and change and renewable energy when it looks like business as usual. You know, when the media is still, you know, encouraging consumerism and the mall is all lit up and everybody's driving around and it doesn't look like we're heading toward a climate crisis. It doesn't look like it. It looks like everything is fine. It's business as usual. And that's where I think cognitive dissonance, where we can, if we can address those experiences so that students can interact with change instead of just thinking and learning about change when they begin to see it that's what accelerates those those leaps um not just in their in their mind in that transformative learning um but in your campus projects and meeting those aspirational goals let's talk about the students then so there's this concept of teaching students about sustainability. And I'm, I mean, that that's great. Let's do that because in 10 or 20 or 30 years when they're running the world, we'll be really happy that they know these concepts. But, you know, in my day-to-day world, I'm placed in a position where I need to teach people that are already professionals in place about sustainability because they're the ones that are actually making the decisions to buy the assets that we're going to be stuck with for the next 10 or 20 or 30 years. So, I mean, how should I think about that? Yeah. Well, in some ways you and I have the same job because I'm talking with faculty about how they teach. And uh, that is, uh, that is one conversation. What, what, what we do know a little bit about um, is how to teach sustainability with students. And I can tell you a couple of things that I've changed about my own teaching. Sure. One, one is that in talking with students, um, they, they'll describe um, like being on a roller coaster um, with sustainability. If they're seeing, you know, 
film like films like bag it or you know any of these kind of ecotainment films if they see that in one class and then they're researching that that problem or issue and then they go to another class and they might see the same film and research that problem or issue uh you know we have to think about what they're learning in their other classes and how it's going to resonate with what they're learning in our class. We have to work together to create some coherence in how we teach sustainability. Because if we don't, the risk is um, sometimes it's called green fatigue. You know, if you get students all worked up about something and then nothing happens and then you get them all worked up and concerned again and nothing happens then they 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 tune out they tune out from uh the real learning that is possible there so what i did in my own teaching i've been teaching environmental issues for almost 20 years and i have read so many papers about polar bears floating on icebergs and I just did not feel that these papers were sincere. Um, I felt students were writing what they thought I wanted them to write. And they weren't really thinking through the issues. So instead of teaching the problem, so I used to send students out to, you know, research an environmental issue, and then we'd write a research paper. We no longer start by teaching the problems. We start by engaging with the solutions. Engaging with the solutions kind of primes the mindset to become engaged in the problem, right? You want to become empowered and hopeful before you start doing the research, not vice versa. Maybe that sounds like a simple thing, but uh, I really always am encouraging people to stop teaching problems, teach the solutions first. No, I think we've kind of experienced that in our own work too, because if we only, if we just went in and talked to clients about how bad their issues are, <laughs> I don't think we would get very far. The only reason we're there is because they want help figuring out the solutions. And if we can bring a message <laughs> that there are some, we have a lot better chance of success than if we don't. So that totally makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. And another thing that I've learned a lot about from faculty is about the power of place. And of course, we're teaching in Hawaii where we have an incredible host culture and incredible environment, incredible degree of environmental impacts with biodiversity and all kinds of things going on here. The most powerful teacher we have is really the place itself is, is nature itself almost. If you teach in a classroom from a book, then it's easy to remain distant from, from the information, to detach from it. But if you're teaching from a grounded sense of place, it's got tremendous impact. And that's something that faculty talk about a lot. Well, it's interesting you say that. I remember my own experience when I grew up in Montana, where I could go fishing out my front door and, you know, I was right in the mountains as a kid. And then I went to school in Texas. And I remember how big of a shock it was just to not have the mountains right around me. And I never really realized how much I appreciated that until 
I you know, was moved away from it. And now that I have kids growing up in the city, we do our best to get them outside as much as possible. But you see a lot of their friends that they just have no connection whatsoever. It's just a, it's a foreign experience to me, but I'm starting to understand it a little better. Yeah, well, you probably um, know about nature deficit disorder, and it's a very real thing. Um, if we're if we're not connected to nature, we can't uh, we can't defend what we don't know, what we don't what we don't love, what we don't appreciate. So a lot of curriculum building does start there. Interesting. What I've learned about teaching sustainability and sustainability curriculum. And this is what I've learned from talking with faculty who are doing it, as well as from um, some of the research on sustainability and higher education and my own uh, focus group research with students. It kind of boils down to um, a few guidelines. One is just not teaching from the problems, teaching from the solutions, being engaged and involved in uh, real-world solutions. The second is that uh, idea of sense of place and being grounded in place, you know, the specific, uh, whether it's Montana, where you're from, or here in Hawaii, being grounded in place. Um, the other thing that that comes up a lot is the importance of big picture thinking, systems thinking, or creative thinking. Um, one of our faculty actually designed a course around creative thinking. And it's actually something that you can learn. It can be practiced and developed, creative thinking. The university, we are programmed to teach, you know, critical thinking. And that's actually the opposite of systems thinking. Critical thinking is taking things apart. Systems thinking is putting them together. Creative thinking is how to see problems in um, a new light. So teaching those kind of big picture thinking skills. And then the other um, skill that is most important, it's on all the uh, workforce, future workforce skills. The most important is um, communication and both interpersonal and intrapersonal. So the ability to um, talk with people, engage people, and become a change a change agent, you know, how to talk with people about climate change or behavior change is, you know, right up there in the important skills for sustainability curriculum. Interesting. So we can't just have more uh, engineering courses to work our way out of this? <laughs> no, it's, it's, it is a much more interdisciplinary and even transdisciplinary endeavor. Um, and yeah, it's not just engineers and we need different kind of engineers. That's it for this episode. We hope you enjoyed part one of our two-part series with Dr. Krista Heiser. As always, you can learn more in the show notes and the podcast website at campusenergypodcast.com. Please let us know what you think by sending us an email. Our email address is feedback at campusenergypodcast.com. Catch you next time.